Welcome to Insights, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Insights is an audio podcast that provides perspective on the opportunities and uncertainties facing investors today. Today's episode on our Defend the Future Retirement series is titled The Benefits of Blend Strategies and is for institutional and professional investors. I'm Alan Hunter with our Defined Contribution Institutional Team, and we are lucky to be joined by our special guest, David Blanchett, Head of Retirement Research at Morningstar, and Hal Bjornsson, Client Portfolio Manager from our team. Target date funds are playing an increasingly important role in DC plans, and your role in working with plan sponsors to help participants make informed decisions is more important than ever. We've invited David today to deliver his insight into the trends he's seeing in the space, such as the growth of blend strategies, and to provide his perspective on key considerations when it comes to selecting a target date fund. We'll also hear from Hal, and he'll explain how our philosophy ties into Morningstar's evaluation process. So with that, David, we know that target date funds are a critical component of the defined contribution system, and that you recently published a report looking at the current trends in the industry. Can you talk a little bit about the growth of the target date fund space and where you're seeing flows? Sure. So, you know, target date funds are still seeing a lot of growth today in terms of assets. In 2016, about $60 billion in assets, of which about two-thirds were passive, one-third active. Definitely a huge growth in the space now and projected into the future. Now, what about growth over the long term? Do you expect that trend to continue? I think that a lot of plans have already added TDFs as part of their core menu, and we're seeing more re-enrollment. So we'd like to think that assets will continue to grow. I think one thing we will see is assets shift away from mutual funds into collective trusts. And so we think that there will be growth potential for the space, but the investment vehicle might change over time. Aside, David, from just share classes and vehicles, what are some other important trends to consider in the target date fund space? We're seeing an increase in variety. We're seeing more and more providers offer maybe a passive strategy from the same fund family or just different kind of approaches to, I think, attract land sponsors based upon whatever their objective is for the TDF. David, we would definitely agree with you on that. And as we speak with clients, we've seen more and more interest in these blended or these hybrid strategies, which, as you know, combine the benefits of active management with the fee savings of passive. What do you think the future holds for blended target date fund strategies? I think that there's obviously been a large flow towards passive recently, but I think that blend is attractive. And we also call this hybrid um, in our research. And giving plan sponsors access to an investment objective with different price points, different goals, I think is great. I think that we, we've seen a lot. There's 110 strategies today across collective trusts and mutual funds. I think that where the growth will be in the near future is not more active, but more blend and more passive to give plan sponsors more choices in terms of the actual implementation. Absolutely. And we've seen a shift in the way plan sponsors are thinking about selecting target date funds from recent meetings that we've been in. Now, historically, I would say sponsors would consider glide path construction, then performance, and then finally fees. But more and more, we're seeing that fees have become, I would say, the primary consideration. But that's why we believe these blended strategies really provide the best of both worlds. Talk for a minute, David, if you can, about where you think fees should rank in the broader selection process in relation to, say, asset allocation or or philosophy. Fees are important, right? The plan sponsors today are incredibly focused on selecting a low-cost option. And we think that you should think about that. But I mean, a glide path series is a collection of choices, right? There's decisions about fees, about the glide path, about you know, the active passive, all these things. And, and so we think that you should focus on fees. But again, in our pillars, price is only one of five metrics we use to think about the quality of investment. So yes, fees are important, but it's only one part of a much bigger process. 
Now, we would agree that looking at fees in isolation doesn't really paint the entire picture when it comes to selecting a target date fund. We think it's incredibly important to also consider GlidePath design. David, what are some important considerations for plan sponsors when it comes to looking at GlidePaths? The GlidePath is very important. The GlidePath is how the allocation changes that approaches retirement. And we're seeing an increasing variety of GlidePath approaches. I think it's important to understand, you know, one, how the GlidePath is created, but also how it changes over time. We've seen a lot of changes in GlidePath across providers, across vintages over the last few years. I've been reading quite a bit about projected growth of target date funds and how we could see potentially, I think it's something like a trillion dollars in the market in the next five years. And you, David, have mentioned a huge potential for growth. But most assets today reside in a fully active or a fully passive strategy. Where do you think there's room for a blend here? To your earlier point, I think that there is a focus on lower fees. And I think what plan sponsors want and consultants want is choices. They want choices in terms of how they're going to spend their quote-unquote you know, fee or alpha budget. And giving someone the possibility of a combination, I think, will just lead to better outcomes for participants because it allows plan sponsors to figure out what is the right strategy for their plan based upon their goals and objectives. Absolutely. Well, thank you, David, for that insight. Hal, turning to you, with that backdrop in mind that David just provided, can you talk a little bit about J.P. Morgan's process and philosophy? As we're trying to kind of combine topics here because we're able to take advantage of the insights of our colleagues at Morningstar. We also wanted to make sure you all had an update on what was going on with the strategies. And just a quick refresh on the pillars that drive how we built these portfolios The first is that people can't be overlooked. As you've heard us say often, we've incorporated what we've learned about participant behavior directly into the glide path, actually modeling the cash flow volatility of participants. That a dynamic risk management framework is critical where you have to think about, I love the point about how you spend your risk and fee budget. Similarly, looking at for this sort of strategy, how you think about the different pieces that are involved. And then importantly, consistency is, we think, critical to and key to retirement security. Consistency of our process, consistency of our approach, consistency of taking a look at and measuring the success of these strategies as defined by income replacement, because for us, it's about outcomes. Now, Hal, you mentioned briefly our participant research. Can you talk a little bit more about why that research is important and how we use it to construct the glide path? Yes. We've talked about the participant research data. It's something we started doing back in 2005, which seems like a long time ago now when you think about how long target date funds have been around. And interestingly enough, we are the only ones in the industry that continue to focus on participant behavior as a critical component. The data that we access is through a record-keeping platform that we previously were affiliated with through JP Morgan Retirement Plan Services. That data now resides with Great West, and we still have access to that information. But that's not where it ends. On an ongoing basis and going forward, we're looking at other sources for data to reflect participant behavior to make sure that things like how long people are staying in the plan or whether they're taking early retirement, how much people are contributing, whether they stop and take loans at different points. All of that is critical to the success, we believe, of making sure that you're building, as we said, a dynamic risk framework. Because without that insight on participant behavior, you're not really building an asset allocation framework that is designed to meet the needs of the participants you're building for. Well, thank you, Hal. Now, taking a step back from the GlidePath design, you talked about some of the components that went into that, particularly the participant research. 
Can you take a step back briefly and talk just a little bit about how that ties into J.P. Morgan's broader approach to D.C. investing? When we talk about client goals and objectives, it is for us about outcomes. We're targeting income replacement for these folks. We're looking to get as many people investing with us in their 401k to the finish line as defined by income replacement of 70 to 80% when they combine the assets that are in their target date strategy with Social Security. That's an important objective where, and I'm sure Morningstar has seen this data, most folks now are retiring on their 401k plan. The DB opportunities and other things aren't there. So having a DB-like benefit is important. The thing that we do, and we talked about this already, is actually marry up what we've learned about cash flow volatility with our long-term capital market assumptions, our views looking out over the next 10 to 15 years for return volatility across asset classes, and we run through simulations. That's the first step in building the glide path. So then when you come up with that kind of allocation framework, how do you populate it? And our value add, we believe, is being able to identify managers across the JP Morgan platform that will provide alpha and importantly, uncorrelated source of alpha, real diversification. And then the third thing we do is what we refer to as active asset allocation. That is, we've set a strategic allocation. We feel confident that we've identified solid managers to populate that on a month-to-month basis, taking a look at what's going on in the markets and saying, is this an opportunity for us to take advantage of some of the growth potential we're seeing now in continental Europe, the turnaround in the emerging markets or our conviction relative to high yield? So those active asset allocation views are also something that are layered on top of what is really our core engine, if you will, which is the strategic allocation and manager selection. We're part of multi-asset solutions. We benefit from the qualitative and quantitative insights. We work with teams across JP Morgan that also provide us with insights. Our high yield teams telling us about what's going on in that space, core fixed income, folks in international and developed equity markets as well. So it's a constant stream of information and importantly with that risk oversight in mind. Thank you, Hal. I think it's very evident that you and your team apply a very thorough and thoughtful process when it comes to participant behavior. Now, we've just discussed the development of the Glide Path, which, as you mentioned, incorporates our long-term capital market assumptions. Just a quick plug, we will be hosting another podcast in the coming weeks where we'll dive a little bit deeper into the long-term capital market assumptions and how you should be thinking about those within the context of a DC plan. But we did promise that in this podcast, we were going to discuss the benefits of blended or hybrid strategies. How, what are some of the key differences between the blend strategy and the fully active strategy and why you might consider one over the other? Sure. I like the reference to hybrid strategies because I think that's really what this is versus a blend. And it's a hybrid in that these funds are essentially trying to think about, again, how you spend your risk and fee budget. And it is reflective of probably what you would see in a core menu in that much of the equity exposure is indexed because you will basically be able to deliver efficiently returns that will match what the markets are doing. And we specifically, as you would imagine, pick low tracking or lower fee vehicles to populate the index strategies. And it's referred to as a blend because while most of the equity exposure is indexed, on the fixed income side, we're active. So it's a blend of primarily... Think of our exposure to U.S. or EFA; Those would be indexed, as you would not be surprised to find. But when it comes to fixed income, our view is that you need exposure to broad asset classes. Some of those just aren't things that you would or could index. So you're saying, Hal, just to make sure I'm hearing you correctly, it's the same glide path in both strategies. Is that right? Same team, same process, same glide path. 
It's implementation. It's when we populate the strategies and when you talk about security selection, here we're saying, okay, let's look at where we want to spend, again, our risk and fee budget and where does it make sense to index and where would we not be able to fully implement our strategic allocation if we narrowed our perspective to just index vehicles. Great. Thank you, Hal. David, turning back to you, we didn't forget about you. I know we briefly discussed fixed income. Can you talk for just a moment about the equity side of the portfolio? Recently, we've seen a lot of managers adjusting the equity component of their glide path, namely by increasing exposure. What do you think a plan sponsor should consider when they see that happening? There's no right or wrong glide path. Every single investor is different, every client's different. I think the important thing to know is why are they making the change? I think that too often people make changes to glide paths to improve the relative peer ranking or something else. And so to me, it isn't about what it is, it's why it happens and what are the reasons behind it. So David, um, can I ask you to talk just for a minute about the prioritization of active versus tactical management when it comes to target aid funds? I don't know the exact numbers, but a comment that Jeff Holt, I believe, made last year's report is there's no such thing as an actual passive targeted fund, right? Mm-hmm. Targeted funds require decisions across glide paths, style exposure, selection decisions, tactical changes. And so to me, this notion of active and passive is a little bit off because a passive investment is an index that is unmanaged. Every single TDF is managed to some extent. And so to me, the question is, where is the actual activity? You know, Do they have activity in terms of making style choices, glide path choices? We are seeing just an increasing variety. Now there's, like I said, 110 different strategies out there. And I think we'll see more tactical, more dynamic to kind of give plan sponsors and consultants more choices in terms of selecting the right TDF for a given plan. Well, we agree. In our opinion, there aren't any such things as passive target date fund managers. There's always someone behind that making an active decision around the glide path, around asset allocation, or manager selection. Hal, when you think about Morningstar's evaluation process, where do you think we fit into that framework? Sure. Thank you. I guess when you think about the process and the philosophy and performance of our strategies, the things that we focus on on a day-to-day basis are, again, our philosophy is based on understanding participant behavior and making sure we build something that reflects an ability to get people to the finish line. The process that we use has been in place for Going back, really, in terms of how we build portfolios within multi-asset solutions, going back to the establishment of this team as delivering results for divine benefit plans over 45 years ago. So it's all about solutions. It's all about thinking about going through a robust process of identifying, again, how to spend the risk budget, how to think about the interaction of different strategies within an asset allocation, testing different scenarios, looking at, over time, the fit of them, and going back and monitoring and revisiting. It's such a truism that there's no such thing as a passive target date strategy. And if there's anything we embrace, it's that for the participant, yes, it should be a set and forget they shouldn't be messing with this stuff. But we should be on it 24-7. We should be looking at, do we have the right asset allocation? When we revisit our glide path every year based on our long-term capital market assumptions, is this the right fit? We run through scenarios year after year. So that process of continuous improvement, if you will, and looking at making sure that we have the right strategies and the right strategic allocation is key to what we do. And then I would say just in terms of the pricing perspective, we've tried to diligently look at, as everyone in this business needs to, look at the most cost-effective way to deliver these strategies. Shifting gears a little bit, David, we've talked a lot about packaged solutions for target date funds. What do you and the rest of the Morningstar team think about the custom space? What are you seeing there in the industry? 
I work with a number of clients in the custom space. And I mean, I like the idea of custom, but I think that it's about cost and price point. I think that most plans aren't near to the size that you would want to do that. And there's just all that extra due diligence. I mean, I think that one benefit of, I mean, I don't mind using the term off the shelf, is that, you know, you have companies like Morningstar who provide very thoughtful, independent analysis looking at these funds. When you move to the custom world, you have to do your own due diligence. And most sponsors, I don't think, have the tools to do that. And so I think that when you look at things that have been created and are used by millions of participants, it, it makes it easier for a plan sponsor to say, hey, I want most of my money to go into that solution. And so I think that for most plans, that off the shelf, for lack of a better term, <laughs> probably is the right way to go. Sure. We've seen the custom space work for mega plans that have the underlying infrastructure in their organization to do what we view as the right amount of due diligence. We've also seen scenarios where clients have moved from a custom offering to a package solution specifically because of the increased ease of implementation and execution. When we think, though, about the target date fund space of the future, where do you think we're headed? Things like technology, to what degree is that going to change the industry? You know, I'd like to think we'll see more customization, possibly more personalization. I mean, what I want, though, is kind of more of the same. I love the fact we've moved from a place where people are self-directing their accounts to having investment professionals build portfolios for them. And so if we can just nudge, push, or throw more participants into solutions that get them to someone else doing it, then I'm going to be happy. Or all the above. All the above. All the above. Whatever works. When I think about today, our environment, we've moved to a place where I'm not as worried about investment choices among participants, it's savings choice. I think we've really moved to a place where for most plans have access to really good investment vehicles, it's now time to get folks to save more for retirement. Well, absolutely. We think autos are one way of getting people there. and We need to continue to educate participants around the benefits of saving early, and in particular, saving enough. I know we've spent a lot of time on the accumulation side of the question, but what about the decumulation side when participants actually hit retirement? David, what are some of the things you're thinking about there? If you think about, take a step back, what is the ideal solution for investors in DC plans? Okay, It's not targeted funds. It's meeting with someone, a financial planner, a CFP for two hours, working through the exact right portfolio for someone. That's way too expensive, right? And I think the targeted funds have done a great job Again, providing investors with a professionally managed investment solution that they can use to help them figure out how to plan for retirement. Retirement, though, is a very, very complex place. I think that there's so many decisions you've got to make that you need to kind of work with someone, a true independent professional to help you figure out where you should be doing. Retirement is very complex, and I like the idea of simple investment solutions, but savings is critical for younger workers. When to claim Social Security, when to retire, that is stuff that I think you need help with as you approach retirement. Well, absolutely. And to your point earlier, David, we know what we need to do is to help participants there, which is to get them to save more and in particular to save appropriately. But the decumulation side of the equation is a lot harder. We as a firm, and I think broadly as an industry, we've not really reached a consensus yet. But we're definitely thinking about it here at J.P. Morgan and still thinking about when and where it makes sense for a participant to be in plan versus out of plan for an income solution. But I do want to be cognizant of time. I I think we should end it here today. A lot of good topics discussed, great ideas. First, David, I want to thank you for your insights into the current and certainly the future DC landscape. If one of our plan sponsors listening wanted to access your report, they could go directly to the Morningstar website. Once there, though, what is the name of the report? 2017 Morningstar Target Date Landscape Report. Great. Well, it certainly is a fascinating report, a lot of valuable insights. Hal, thank you as well for your time discussing our overall philosophy and our process. If you have any questions on any of the topics we covered today, please reach out to your J.P. Morgan representative. Thank you all for joining us today on J.P. Morgan Insights. 
This is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purposes. By receiving this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described above. Any examples used in this material are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. None of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, its affiliates or representatives, is suggesting that the recipient or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with the advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisors that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances of an investor's own situation. This material has been prepared for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for investment, accounting, legal, or tax advice. Opinions and estimates offered constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice, as are statements of financial market trends, which are based on current market conditions. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but do not warrant its accuracy or completeness. References to future returns are not promises or even estimates of actual returns a client portfolio may achieve. J.P. Morgan Distribution Services, Incorporated, Member FINRA, SIPC. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the marketing name for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. Copyright 2017, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved. Recorded August 15, 2017.